Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Sith Council. Thank you for joining us. Well, Bad Batch is gone, is done. And we are going to be delivering on our promise that we told you. We're going to be covering all 11 theatrically released films. Sorry, Bibs. No Ewok movies. But we are going to be doing all the live-action theatrically released films. We are going to start with Phantom Menace, Episode 1. Myself and Steph Sabra are here today to talk about that movie. We watched it last night. It's fresh in our brains. We're going to be talking about everything that we saw, the things that, that we remembered, things that we forgot, um, how it all ties in. Maybe does it tie in to stuff that we're going to see in the future in other Star Wars properties? Well, we are going to be pumped to talk about it, and we are going to start about it now. Here we go. I can Makes you stronger. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Sith Council. Look at that great art by Brian Ward. Brian Ward came up. I said, Brian, you know, you want to do something? I know you like doing Star Wars stuff. You want to come up with something? Look at that. And even though I look good, we, Steph, you got to stop doing this. What? Mark and I look like uh, Mark. I don't remember his name. Mike looked like we were 87 years old. Look Listen, good you look in that picture. I look great as a Jedi. Yeah, I like, can't even lie to y'all. It's good. <laughs> were you excited to see that picture? Yes. It's great. It's like what I dream of. It's it me in a green saber. Right. Me with horns on my head. <laughs> so my wife sees me every day. <laughs> um, it's good to have you here. It's good that we had an opportunity to both watch the movie. Say we're going to. Loved your tweet last night. <laughs> Tweet what can you can you tell the audience what you tweeted out? Yeah, it's the part where Qui Gon's coming back to the council and he said he pages in and he says, Oh, and there's something about this boy and then it beeps out. And then I said, This is me when I call my mom when I find the one. At, yeah, right? <laughs> At like Ralph's. Yeah. <laughs> so, so is that this Whole Foods mom? Yeah, and, and there's something about this boy. <laughs> Chips <laughs> So and we watched uh we watched the movie last night, went through it and and I think that when I, I have so many different emotions for Phantom Menace overall, and you and I come from different generations, so you remember kind of growing up, because you were probably like six when you saw it in the theater. Yeah. Right. I was not. Um, saw it in college, right? So when I, I saw it like six times in, when, because it was the first movie in the theater. Oh, and I, yeah. It was the first movie that had come out since the original trilogy, and it was one of those things where it was very similar. Like I was like, this is great, this is great, and then... You realize you've got to you've got to have different blinders on for for this movie in general because so many things have gone on in the Star Wars universe that will change your opinion on it. I happen to really like this movie now. I didn't like it for a lot of years, mm -hmm. a lot of years, and I think that the the lore and everything in it is is great. Like the idea of it, and even last night when I started watching it, I'm like, imagine if it wasn't as because it it plays if you watch it like an episode of the Clone Wars, the animated series. It's fantastic. Yeah. But if you watch it and you try to compare it to the original trilogy, which everybody did, right, rightfully so when it came out, because that was what they had to compare it to, and no other properties except those three movies, then you can start getting into problems. Because as I was doing that and I was looking into, I just watched Empire recently, and I'm like, oh, if they would have shot it, I'm like, stop doing that. Stop trying to compare it to the original trilogy, because it's not that. It's clearly a different thing. And I took those stupid original trilogy blinders off, and I started watching it, and I found myself the same way I did when I watched it with my daughter, enjoying it so much more. Um, there is a lot of stuff that is goofy as hell in the beginning, though. Like, the, the completely, overly uh, stereotypical uh, accents that... Oh, my God. <laughs> that went to the ventilation shaft. It's like, <laughs> give them subtitles. 
Give the aliens subtitles. You get yourself out of a lot of problems that way. No, what we did with Asians and black people, like the representation was insane. It, <laughs> it is so hard not. You just have to think of it as it's funny. It's goofy. It's, 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 goofy. it's, it's goofy because even it's because all of that stuff, all the dialogue, if you take out the, have you ever done a Jedi? Like, don't do that. And you can't do like If you take that voice out of there and you put like, have you ever come across like Hamdaya, ah, whatever the whatever the alien voice is, and the or Java type thing, and it's like, have you ever come across a Jedi? Have you ever done this? It's like, oh shit, these guys are scared. That's the alien voice. That's the dialect. Whatever it might be, it'll play more. But again, watching it, knowing it, knowing you can't change it, and yeah. enjoying it for what it was, I said, all right, because I. It's amazing how fast last night I shut it off and I just sat back on the couch and I said, I just want to enjoy this movie. And I did. It's like, it's beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful digital. I mean, it's one of the first digital movies. It is gorgeous to look at. And even when, when the ship comes in and they have the dynamic of, and I think because I watched so many episodes of the Clone Wars, when the, ro when the robots, the Roger Rogers used to bug me, I was happy to see them this time. Yeah, I don't mind the robots, and I definitely think the the what they did with the technology at the time is really dope. It's so now when you rewatch it, you can you see it because we have the whole like when you watch the Mandalorian, it's right. just a, totally game changing with green screen, and you have to acknowledge that when you're looking at what the actors were working with. But I liked that we got one of the pluses of this film is that we got Coruscant and Naboo yes. and a different yes. side of Tatooine that we had never seen before. Those were huge pluses to the film for me. It was. And I know people are going to get annoyed with me here on this thing. But I'm, like I said, I just, it's just, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to tell you that I really enjoyed watching the movie throughout it. I am going to point out the things that I was still like, I wish they would have. Change that over. I'm still gonna. I'm gonna find myself doing it, even though I sat back. Like because you mentioned the the pod racing scene is so good, and it's long, and the sound is so phenomenal, and the lead up to why Anakin is there, and and that really played for me last night. The the, the Anakin relationship, and watching what he did with his with his mom, and understanding how the, there's something about this boy, like all that stuff. I'm never gonna accept those stupid uh, announcers. I'm never I, gonna do it. I can't stand it. Well, th okay, so that's so cheesy. The way the my biggest okay, so I rewatched the movie last night. I rewatched it with someone who had never seen Star Wars, and I was so curious to see yeah. her perception as an adult of it. And the first thing she said when she saw Jar Jar was, "Oh, I didn't know they had silly characters in Star Wars." Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, it's a whole thing, thing, but it all of the scenes. It was like." It was a weird experiment on what works for kids and what works for adults. Yes. And I feel like every single scene was tried to manage what kids would want, yes. but then try to be serious. And that's where the problem is. It, it, it is. And it's, but that's, it's a, that's a great point. Because if you look at it, as I've now done after watching it with my daughter, because my daughter started watching it with me last night before she went to bed. And she was laughing the whole time. She loves Jar Jar. She's nine years old. She loves Jar Jar. She's watching it. He steps in a pile of shit, and she 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 loved it. Yeah, and he didn't bother me this this run. He didn't bother me because I think because I've so I've been with him for so long now. It's not like like there's certain things that certain movies, uh, whether it's Star Wars or anything, things come up, and I gotta either fast forward or, or really go. All right, let's just just let's get through it. Let's get through it. Didn't bother me this time because I just he even when he when he shows up and he and he's Misa Spake and it's just, just the ability to speak. I'm like, all right, fine. He's an idiot, but it's it's and you know where he's going to go and you know what's going to happen. He brings him down to the underground city and I love that music, the John Williams score that plays mm -hmm. when he brings him 
down there and and he and he's and he's in front of the boss nas all that's for kids the all that shit's all for kids and because of that i'm like i really did watch this as an episode of clone wars and doing so found myself enjoying it even more so and then starting to say well this overall we know how this lore is going to play and we know and i started to think of connectivity to obi-wan the series because we're, we see that relationship with him and Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon right away. Yeah. And it's that kind of ambitious Padawan that he is. And you wonder, okay, so Liam Neeson's still trying to play the game that he's not in the yeah. series, right? But it's like this is this, – this whole – Liam Neeson, Qui-Gon Jinn is wrong a lot. A lot. In this, in this movie. Uh, like even from the beginning, he's like, ah, they're cowards. Nothing, nothing's going to – Nothing's going to happen here. We're, we're, this will be over quick. He and brought Jar Jar. Like, he, he, he did. He, he's responsible for a lot of stuff. 100%. Jar Jar and the creation of giving uh, Palpatine the Emperor. He bring it on. He should have left Anakin where he was. You yeah. know? But, but then at that point, if he did a what-if series, yeah. Oh, yeah. he leaves him. Palpatine could have just found him. It's and then so, Palpatine could have found true. him right away. So who the hell knows? But it's funny when you rewatch it and the amount of times now knowing the controversy with Jar Jar that yeah. Jar Jar could have been left. There's like eight times where easily, it's easily, just just stop there. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Peace out. Oh, I owe you a life debt. You're good. You're good, buddy. And that, and even even Obi Wan's like, we're taking this thing. We need to translate. We need someone to navigate us. He doesn't navigate through anything. Like there's a scream and yell throughout the whole when when they're. That scene as they're trying to take the uh, the Onabongo tr- through the uh, th- through the planet core, and they're like, "Wow, ah, we need somebody to help us." He doesn't help; he just sits there and he, Obi Wan chokes him out. And Qui Gon chokes him out. And he's passed out, and I didn't realize that I had subtitles on last night. I wanted to do that on purpose. I think that uh, after Qui Gon makes him pass out in the thing, Obi Wan's like, "Ah, it was a little much." <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I didn't, never picked up on that. I didn't but it was, see that but he said something. He said something like that. It's like a little, it's a little much. And I don't know if he meant a little much because it, it's a Jar Jar or the fact that he had him pass choked out. Him out. He choked him out, basically. Yeah. No, the Gungalorians are are cool. I don't mind them as much. I think they look cool. Yeah. But my problem with them is kind of the problem of the movie on this rewatch that yeah. I saw. Because I, I enjoy it every time. I love this movie. I have sentimental feelings about it. When I was right. young, it was sick. Was it the one that got you into Star Wars? Uh, y- No, actually, okay. episode two did. Clone episode Wars. Two. Yeah. Because when you were Attack younger, clone, yeah. it was... I mean, Attack of the yeah. Clone. It was just so fun. I don't know. It just looked so fun yeah, to me. Yeah. And I believed in that love story, which... Which is crazy. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> like my parents should have been like, "Seb, this is not realistic." Right, but no, I'm glad that they didn't because that's it, it. Because it probably makes you. Because you, I think you said because you like Attack of the Clones. Yeah, I like because, Attack because of the Clones. Because that's what got you. Exactly. Into it. See, that's what people don't understand is that that's why I never, I, I never, like people who are just like, "Well, this is the, this is my favorite movie." Like, what? Why? It's like because you have different attachments. Yeah, to Yeah, I see the flaws. So with the Gungalorians, I. The, my problem on, upon this rewatch is that yeah. a lot of times the movie suffered from not feeling like there was high enough stakes yeah. because of how they were acting. Like the Gungalorians at the end when they were facing up with the Roger Roger, yeah. they didn't. They were like laughing, right? And it's a, you're it, you could easily die right now, right? It, 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 and I think that goes back to your previous point of the balance between kids mm-hmm. and what the stakes are for adults who are watching it. It plays like a, it. That plays like a like an animated mm-hmm. scene, you know. It's like there, um, but it, again, looked beautiful, understood the stakes, and it was that was when you watch that scene in particular at the end there with Jar Jar falling all over the place. He falls, the the, the, the robots attached to him. He shoots another thing. 
that was that whole scene with with George Lucas when he's talking about this. All right, John Jar Jar. He put everything he had on him and was saying like, the kids are going to love this guy. Kids are, and kids did like Jar Jar a lot. That's what people who give Jar Jar all this crap. Kids did love Jar Jar, um, but adults did not. And adults who grew up with it, different. But but either way, the thing that I noticed about this movie, especially in the beginning, the cuts are so fast. Mm-hmm. The, there's there's the the scene that is. Between Darth Maul shows up and it's and you know that's not Ray Park's voice, right? So like he and he shows up and he's like, "Alas, alas, we will have our revenge." That scene is so short; it's like a matter of I don't know a minute, and then it just right back to Tatooine or wherever they go. There's a few different scenes like that 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 you're with maybe 45 seconds or like a minute, right back out, and no development of dialogue or anything too, and it just moves. It moves fast. The movie moves fast, but it's it's a bit choppy at parts. But as you're moving around, it's weird because as it was getting more choppy, the story, the overall story of why they were there, they get away from the, the, the you know, they, they fly the Naboo the cruiser out, they get past, R2-D2's there, he, he does his little heroic moment, um, and then they have to go to Tatooine, you know. Um, and that whole mission to me, it, it, it actually played really fun. It felt nostalgic watching it. You know, and going through that and and knowing that Padme is there and that those few... Because Qui-Gon's pretty arrogant. A few differences. Yeah, the Queen will be fine. I, my favorite line is, no more orders from the Queen today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whatever we said, no, from your highness day. And then, yeah, like all that. And when, she, when he goes, ah, the Queen will be fine. She's like, you assume too much. Like knowing, I'm right here. Yeah, and he's like, she trusts me. Right. <laughs> She's you like, assume too much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think Qui-Gon, I... I mean, a lot of people still think Qui-Gon's their favorite Jedi. I love Qui-Gon, but he made a lot of mistakes. But I do like that. I know a lot of people have problems with the Jedi Council, but I do think that I like what they were going with with the Jedi Council. They were showing the arrogance of a group of people that have held power for so long. But what I didn't like is that, like, this is the height of their strength. Right. And we, Qui-Gon's... We barely got any focus on Qui-Gon. Like I, yeah. Someone posed this question, like, who's the main character? Well, that's, that's always been the thing. With that, that was one of the major issues with the prequels, is that the story is the story's there. Dialogue, and you want to say all that stuff about the, the, the dialogue, is it great? Not really. Um, but the problem is there's no real protagonist throughout the entire, all three of them. It's like, that's exactly right. Who is the, who's the protagonist? You could kind of say Obi-Wan... But that doesn't really start to play until episode three when he's fighting Grievous and all that. Is it Anakin? It kind of is the fallen hero, but he's he does he he's certainly a big protagonist in Phantom Menace yep. when he's f- racing and getting away from uh, being a slave and and all that. But there's no clear cut who is the protagonist of this of this film um, or the series rather. So that's, I mean, that's a thing, but once again, how it all plays out, and because I think that you know now, because of the series and everything where it leads up, it's part of, it's part of lore, and it's part of, and because I think because the Clone Wars series is so effective. Yeah, it really does fill the space. It does, because Anakin is clearly the protagonist of- 100%. And as it, well, as is Obi-Wan. So I think that because of that, I have less of a problem with who's the protagonist in these movies, because- 
it it balances out pretty it's well. It's setting them all up. Yeah. Yeah, I but and I do just I love the Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon stuff. Yeah. It, it is really good to me. I know people don't love the dialogue, but I love their relationship. I do love that uh, Obi-Wan always was questioning Qui-Gon right. in the end respected him, but and then it led to the one of my favorite lightsaber fight duels of all time yeah. with with Darth Maul. So that it, that's excellent part of the film. It shows such a such an evolution in the persona of Obi-Wan, right? Because it's one of the rare moments that you really see him lead with anger because uh, after Qui-Gon eats it and he just is furious and he runs through and he just is, he's running with rage, um, which is not the Jedi way and is not what, what he does, but he's, that's, and it's ultimately why he winds up, it, Maul gets the better of him, but he's able to calm himself down. He's able to have, it's also ironic that Maul has the high ground as opposed to Revenge of the Sith, and he's able to make it work because he he's at peace, and he and he's able to summon the lightsaber and jump up and cut him in half. And now, and that played even more so now because I remember watching the movie and going, "Oh, well, that was that guy was cool, and he's gone now." And now knowing that he's not gone, he's not gone. He has a yeah. much bigger run overall because everybody was so judgmental. Maul's back. You got cut in half. How'd that work? Watch the series, dude. It, 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 it plays. And so knowing that he does come back, that moment played so much better to me now than it did when I saw it in the theater. Yeah, I agree. And also, think about Anakin and Darth Vader. Like, right. there's, It's Star Wars. Things can happen. And they, do, they did a great job of patching up his story, Darth Maul. I'm glad yeah. that we got more of him. But I, I agree completely. Obi-Wan is one of the most interesting characters. And they found a way when I rewatch it, when I thought about this a few years ago. I was like, I didn't get enough Obi-Wan, but when I rewatch him, like, I actually really like what we got in Obi-Wan, and maybe it's because I know we're getting more right. that... You mean episode one? Uh, or you, you in mean the prequels? All the, prequels, all the prequels. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I kind of wanted more, because he was the most solid character. 100%. And everyone, he was the ride-or-die, never-let-us-down yeah. character in the prequel, so I always wanted more, but I do like what we got, and now knowing that we're getting the series, it hits harder. It's also a testament how great of an actor Hugh McGregor is, right? It's because he, he, doesn't, he didn't have the best material to necessarily work with as far as dialogue goes but it was the emotion of what he was able to do the relationships that he set up i mean even the stuff that james arnold taylor did with the voicing him in in um in clone wars was a reflection of how great ewan mcgregor was and how what he was able to do overall so i I agree He's, he's there's so much that he had you mentioned anakin and i think what has always hit for me from the first time i saw the movie to last night is when he's having that conversation with his mother and she's like don't look back and that John Williams score plays as he's walking away, it's so powerful. It's so powerful, especially because you know what happens to this kid, what ultimately goes down with his mother, like all of it. It did make me also say, though, Qui-Gon didn't try very hard to get her, though. Yeah. He's just like, like, yeah, you know, Watto wasn't having it. Figure out a way to make it happen. You just figured out a way to, you, you maneuvered all this stuff around to get this kid to, you know, the, the pod racer, you you all the money that you basically that Watto lost, offer him a little scratch and say, "Hey, look, you know, I'll tell you what, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. Let, let the kid's mom go too." I know it's so hard not to think about that every time yeah. I watch it because I'm like, "That's his mom," and that's the reason why everything went down. And then it yeah. makes you think you did you couldn't come back to Tatooine for that long, right? 
which makes my heart hurt. But that part was so, that was actually a really well acted part for me. And uh, one of the parts that made Anakin more realistic as a slave kid. Right. And being unsure of his surroundings, where he's going next. And then you realize, oh, this is going to be his journey. You know what made him a kid to me? Like like that moment of when he finds out that Qui-Gon's freed him. And he's like, woohoo, I'm out of here. And he stops and he goes, wait a minute. What about my mom? Yeah. Like, it's like the first thing he thinks of is like, woohoo, I'm out, I'm gone. And then he stops. He's like, well, wait a minute. What about mom? And that's when those conversations happen. And I'm just like, come on, Qui-Gon, let's figure it out, brother. <laughs> like, you know, it's, let's, let's make this work. But, and, I, and it's funny because when you go into the new trilogy and people were like, well, they didn't have a plan for this. They set this thing up for race parents. They didn't have a clear-cut direction. There's a little bit of that in the prequels because it's like, well, who's the father? There was no father. And then in, in Revenge of the Sith, it's a tease that Palpatine and Plagueis kind of created Anakin, but it's never delivered on whether it was or whether or not. It's kind of open-ended. Um, it happens with, with in, this, in this one, a, a couple of things happen. You know, with, I had a, when he says, because there's this conversation that Qui-Gon has with Shmi Skywalker about, she tells him he has powers. He's like, he's able to see things before they happen. He goes, it's why, his rep- it's why he seems like he has good reflexes. He's, it's, it's what happens in Jedi. And then he talks, Anakin talks about how he had a dream about coming back and freeing all the slaves. So you're set up to think, this dude's going to do that. He's going to free all the slaves on Tatooine. And he doesn't. Now, it's either just a tragic thing that it was a premonition that didn't happen or it was a what-if scenario on another parallel type of thing that he did do it, but then this one he didn't. Um, that or he made the wrong choices on a, on a vision that didn't deliver, or they went a different route in the story, and he was supposed to come back and free all the slaves. What would I what could have been great is if he would have freed all the slaves and his mom still died. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. That part for me is like the part I loved about Daenerys Targaryen. Like yeah. you just want to believe in someone that was a slave or was treated like that and comes back. And I think it's some some of the scenes with Anakin. I don't obvious. I think. The BS that he got as a kid is insane. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's a child, yeah. and he was told he did what the director told him yeah. to do. There's no way you can interpret eight this. or nine years old. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But of all the lines that he had, that was one of the most powerful because you want to believe in the fact that this kid is the prodigy. Yeah. He's the chosen one, and you want to hear a statement like that. And then it made me really excited. And then you forget, you realize it doesn't come into fruition at all. Yeah, but but I mean. It, it played, it's funny because even when he said that, it, it made me like really look at that scene in Attack of the Clones when he comes back and the fury that comes out of it. It's because of maybe because he had this dream that didn't come true. And he has been so powerful and he has been so right with a lot of his images and, and, um, and visions. And this one, this one wasn't right and he lost his mom. Uh, I still think it's, we'll talk about it next week on Attack of the Clones. I still think it's one of the silliest scenes in the world of when he screams about how he wanted to murder all the children and everything. And then in the next scene, Padme's like, I love you. I deeply man. Was it the mass murdering of the children? that got you. Well, I got a, I got another big hit coming up in revenge of the Sith. So you're going to really be in love with me next. It's like nine year old me, that scene, how romantic, how romantic, right? Romeo and Juliet. Right. <laughs> you'll, you're going to really like Dexter when you watch it stuff. I'll tell you that. Um, but either way, you know, it, the Phantom Menace going to watch this. And there was a lot of mention back and forth. If you read uh, How Star Wars Conquered the Universe, which if you have not read it, 
You should read that book. Chris Taylor. I, I think that I, I might even have it on the shelf over there. If I don't have it on the shelf, I have it somewhere. You should you should read this book. It is great. Um, it's not updated until, you know, I think that it, it's right before the new trilogy began. But he talks about how George Lucas was going back and forth with making Anakin a teenager to start. still think that would have been a little more effective, to be honest, because I still think it's a little weird that Padme is like 10 years older than him. And it's like, unnecessary. It's unnecessary. Um, because they have such a... In this movie, they have a big sister, little little brother relationship. And fully. Fully. Because even there's that scene when she's very sweet to him. Like, he... She, at first, as the queen, you know, she's like, you're going to trust this kid? We don't even know this kid. And this is our fate. You're, gonna, you're betting... Because Qui-Gon's got a pair of elephant balls on him. <laughs> because he's just like, yeah, I'm going to bet the, the ship. It's not his ship. It's the queen's ship. And he's just going to bet it. And then even Anakin, I mean, uh, Obi-Wan's like, uh, you know, we could be stuck here for a bit if this doesn't work out. He's like, I got it. People died during the pottery thing. Like, they're, uh, yeah. <laughs> they were exploding. Yeah, yeah they were. <laughs> I mean, this little boy. That was, the, that was the other thing that I was <laughs> curious about was, you know, as you watch it, uh, uh, as great as that scene is and the, the sound is so good, all of it, I wondered, like, how much, if you wanted to, if you, they clearly went for the vision of getting the, the children on board with it. Hence all the, I mean, there's a lot of times I still laugh. Like there's one like alien and it blows up. Oh. You know, like it's a lot of that type of stuff. And that's for, that's for the kids. It's a little easier to handle when someone blows up because when you see a cartoon, not cartoon, but an animated type of alien blow up, it's not as mentally effective or damaging if you saw a human being go. And there was the way, I mean, I thought it was powerful in, in like episode four when all the X-wing pilots are coming and they're blowing up. You're like, oh, yeah. Right? It's, it's it's more silly when the when the aliens are blowing up in the, uh, you know, because they, they seem like animated characters. All of this one, though, even when the pilots were approaching, they were chill and calm, right. whereas you're used to in in episode four, they're like nervous and right. ready to, and sweating. Right. And you just didn't get that. Not at the end. I think they, they tried to recreate the episode four thing at the very end yeah. with going up there and it, it didn't, yeah, it didn't play, but, it, but going back to what I was talking about with that, they were, Lucas was on the fence and I think, I can't remember who it was. It might've been Francis Ford Coppola. was a friend of his and I was saying, make him a teenager. Don't make him a kid. Like his friends were advising him, do not make him a kid. And he went against his, uh, he went, went against that judgment and, uh, and did it. Um, it still plays. It plays for, for what the, what the movie is now. I, I'm, and, it's really strange because, like, as I watched the movie, I guess it was last year, and watched it with my daughter back here and said, oh, man, like, I'm watching this with different eyes now and I'm watching it through her eyes, and I love it. And watching it through her eyes for the first half an hour, and then she went to bed, and I started watching it. And I, I, I'm always, and especially for this show, I'm always going to go, well, what if they did this and that and this? But to appreciate what it is, and the music is, is phenomenal. I mean, so Duel of the Fates every dun, single dun, dun, time. Dun, 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 every yeah. time. Every time it's like the second he shows up, you're like, ah, here we go. Yeah. Here we go. It's like watching like one of it's if like if you are like a fight fan, it's like a great fight that you've watched a million times over. It's like you never get bored of it. Yeah. Because it's it's like poetry in, inside of the even like when they first show up, it's like da 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 da. It's like a dance that they're doing. And you see how powerful this this dude is. From the second he appears on the sands of Tatooine and he's fighting. I did like that moment, by the way, as Anakin is showing his reflexes and how much he is. And Qui-Gon goes, Anakin, drop! Right down. Like, doesn't even yeah. hesitate. 
I love that whole scene. The exit to it. The introduction of Darth Maul is great. I, I love yeah. the way that they use Darth Maul. And I everyone always says it's because he has the least amount of dialogue. People right. just universally love him yeah. the most without interest. But just speaking of the music and everything, the whole time I was watching the movie, and this is my ultimate thought on the movie, it is so fun. It's fun. It's just yeah. a fun movie. And if you don't think about how... But the parts that you took so seriously and the parts that made us like the deepest fans right. and the originals, and you just look at it as a fun Disney movie, it's completely different. If you look at it, uh, I would I would even counter to say like a fun Star Wars movie yeah, as far Star as Wars like movie. the fun like Star Wars like the things that you want from Star Wars. You got you got star you got fight uh, starship fights. You got you got um you got lightsaber fights. You got the Force. You got you got there's there's a lot. I mean. And I'll be honest, even though I'm glad that they've they've abandoned it recently, they've abandoned it, like didn't even mention of midichlorians, right? Did but, that bug you? I mean, originally, yes. Um, Why? That's it, a part that has never bugged me, but I'm just curious. It, 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 because it's, to me, it was always the idea that the force is around us and it's not something that's built inside of us. Mm -hmm. It's something that you can, it, it binds everything. I mean, look, by the sense of it, it, binds us all together because chemically but it's like somebody has it somebody doesn't because it's a high blood count and it was just, it became more about science than it was about the mystical force in general being able to pull from the energy inside of the the, the galaxy but they minded it and it was like it's and it also that is where we tie into what we're talking about here with there's so much lore that's being tied into every single program now, I believe, whether it's Mandalorian, because we get a lot of the cloning stuff that's happening with um, season two, and what it looks like, Palpatine stuff, and how we're building back to get Palpa Palpatine, and what leads into uh, Rise of Skywalker. In Bad Batch, we see how they started all this cloning stuff again, because they got one of the comedians, comedians, someone from Camino. Um, comedians. To, uh, yeah, comedians <laughs> to, to go in and, and start working on it. Um, so when you play into that conversation that Qui-Gon and is having with Obi-Wan about the midichlorian count, that adds into the structure that they're using, the science part of it that I didn't love that makes sense to how you can now clone someone like a Snoke and Snoke can have all of these powers and, and he's as powerful he is because you're cloning them the midichlorian count. Yeah, you don't you don't need to mention it, but if you're enough of a Star Wars fan, you realize, oh well, the, the they're they're doing this this count because, and they say with Anakin, maybe hell, maybe they took some of the stuff that from from Anakin. Who the hell knows, right? right? Maybe maybe we start to learn some of that stuff because of the hand that you, they, they never really went too deep into Luke Skywalker's hand, right? Mm -hmm. There was supposed to be this whole big thing at the end of Empire Strikes Back. Uh, sorry, the beginning of um. Force Awakens. The original shot was Luke's hand floating in space, and it was it was cut out, and it was going to be a whole storyline along that, leading into cloning and all that. That ties in all of this and ties into that conversation about having a higher midichlorian count than even uh, Yoda. Because what was Luke's? Yeah, exactly. I I always interpreted it as. You could have it in, like, some people have it on a cellular le level, but it's also this mystical thing that is integrated in the universe. And you can just pull from it? Yeah. yeah I mean, maybe so. Uh, we, we're talking uh, Phantom Menace, me and Steph Sabral. We got a lot to keep on going with. And before we do that, as you've been part of 
Sith Council and you've been listening to Sith Council, you know about MeUndies. We've been talking about MeUndies since, hell, since the, the first episode of this show and even back in the day of the Schmoes No Show. Um, I'm wearing MeUndies right now. I love it. And people always say that it's that, it's that the typical thing you always hear is like, you know, imagine everyone in their underwear. And that's going to make you feel comfortable. Imagining people in their skivvies is what makes you comfortable. MeUndies believes that comfort does not start with imagining, but instead it starts with actual comfort. And that's why they make the softest, fact, undies in fun prints to help you feel comfortable at your core so you can really feel ready to take on anything. There's no half-naked room that's necessary in your imagination. It's fact. Um, I, I've been, I, hell, man, if you go to my drawer, that's all I got. Tons of, of me on these stuff. And it's, there's some fun ones that you, for designs, there's, there's just regular ones. But I, I mean, the Star Wars ones are cool, too. Uh, they, those are those are brand new. You like some Grogu? They got them. MeUndies designs limited edition prints all the time. So you can express yourself every single day. You build your undie collection and picking out which lucky pair gets to meet your meet your butt for, for that day. It's never been so fun. You can choose prints, whether it's got some corgis on it, chicken nuggets, Star Wars, your Zodiac sign, goofy puns, and and a lot more. Me also. Me also? MeUndies also releases collabs with some pretty big names. They did something pretty big with uh, Space Jam New Legacy, the Rolling Stones, but you got to get them really fast because once they are gone, they're gone for good. That's why it's a, it's a kind of a, it's a special, it's a special offer. You got to cue that violin because you don't want to miss it. You're like, oh man, I could have gotten that, uh, that special design that fits my personality, but now it's gone. MeUndies has a great offer for the Sith Council listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping. That's a deal. MeUndies also has their problem-free philosophy. If you're not satisfied with any of the product for any reason, they're going to refund it. They're going to exchange it. There's no caveats. There's no questions. If you want 15% off your first order, free shipping, and 100% satisfaction, guarantee, go on over to MeUndies.com slash Sith. That is MeUndies.com slash Sith, S-I-T-H. Uh, I love it. I love MeUndies. I cannot tell you how much I love MeUndies. You have to go and check it out. I've been wearing them since we first partnered them up, partnered up with them in Schmoes, and I was over the moon when they came to sponsor uh, Sith Council. So hope they're here to stay for a while, Steph, because I'll keep singing to the moon on MeUndies. Well, that's good because yes. it's an important thing to have, comfortable underwear. 100%. It really is. Uh, and it's also comfortable to to be able to watch a movie that you feel, oh, man, I loved it. And then you're like, oh, do I still love it? And you felt yourself still loving it when you went back to watch it. <laughs> it yeah. is. Yeah. It is true. Every time I, I feel a little bit different about the movie, but I do always love it. It is. And it's, it, it's you can't, nobody can den deny how great this music is from it's Duel of the so Fates to good. everything. John Williams' score in the prequels are great. They're so good. Yeah. Uh, th what's the, he only won an uh, Academy Award for one movie of the Star Wars franchise, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, if Mike was here, he'd probably know it, but uh, yeah. I don't. Uh, we're not the champions. We're not the champions, so I don't know. I don't know uh, who's going to know that one, but I, I think that the answer is probably yes, he deserves more. He deserved it for a lot more. I mean, Return of the Jedi, I mean, Leia's team, Yoda's team for, for, um, for Empire Strikes Back is, is just out of control, but music's really good. Um, and then... The Coruscant stuff that you had mentioned, this was like, because I think the chorus, I think Coruscant was first mentioned in the novelization of, I don't know who, I think it was episode four. And they mentioned like this full planet of like 
like a city. And the idea that was so great. And this Palpatine was also mentioned inside of that novelization. And to see the inner working and how Palpatine starts to make his moves and the, the, the BS of how as concerned he is about Padme. And I still don't completely understand Palpatine's game all the way through because there's certain things he... he is he lying to the Trade Federation that he wants? He's like, wants to get her to sign that treaty? Does he want her dead? Does he want her safe? Does he want certain things to happen? Like, it almost seems... I remember getting into an argument. This is 1999, by the way, on the internet. This is how the internet has been full of crap heads for, to them going... Man, it was, and I remember whatever board it was I posted on it. And I was like, it was so good to see um, Palpatine in, turning into the Emperor... And someone wrote me, that's not Palpatine. That's not, that's not Palpatine. That's a completely different <laughs> senator. I'm like, what are you talking about? Have you read the novelization? That's pa Palpatine is the emperor. It's like, no, it's not. You'll see. It's not the emperor. That's a completely different person. Darth Sidious is one person. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, what? Palpatine is the emperor. No, it's a different. I'm like, this is. It's the same actor, Bill. It, it, Ian McDermott. It's the same. It's, it's, it, I, I completely, uh, it, I, I can't remember that clear as day. <laughs> But I remember the uh, what I liked last night though is see, Palpatine's got some great lines though. Get this stunted yes. slime out of my sight. <laughs> and he's, when he talks about this is my apprentice, Darth Maul, he will find your lost ship. <laughs> that whole thing, and he's just now. And I, I don't even want to do the voice because it's so like not politically correct. And he's just like now there are two of them. Oh and, yeah, and like that that whole thing, and it, but but just Maul standing there like with his arms folded, you know, and that that, that imagery is like so cool. Looks like he's ten feet tall, right? And he's not; he's a little guy. But yeah, the but he feels like it. Yeah, I know the Palpatine stuff is has a lot of really good in it. But I agree, you're because Palpatine as a character, you know, he's always known exactly what where yeah. he wants to go. He has the plan and he's executing it slowly. Yeah. But it was shot in a way in which. You're like, does he know what seeds he's planting, or are they shooting it in a way in which we're interpreting it as, he, like, whatever we want to interpret? Right, it. and it kind of felt like that a little bit. But you know, he's based. He was based off of Hitler. You know, for what I mean, and and Hitler, the way that he designed and won over the crowds and won over the German population with going through his, like, the speeches that he made because Hitler was known to be a, like a very charismatic, charismatic, person, yeah. like, really good speaker. I wanted more of that from Palpatine, watching him talk to the to the. I know because he, he does a few speeches throughout, and he's like even. But, but it's Padme. It, yeah, and and when he even when he comes out, they, they just listening to him at one point. He's just like, hey, now we're gonna make the first galactic empire. Yeah. And I wanted to see that powerful like speech that he's just winning people over and making his moves because he's a politician. He's a career politician. He's he's been doing this Game of Thrones. Thing yeah, he's for a, a while. He's little cards. finger. OG. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he is little he's finger. He's little finger. He's 100% little yeah. finger, but with but with like pure like exorcist evil in him. Yeah. Yeah. They were just setting up so much in this first film, so in that sense I applaud what they did yes. with, you know, the politics, with the Trade Federation, setting up um Anakin's storyline, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, all of these different things, but uh, when you do set up something like politics, you needed more. Right. Y yes. And I think that I had this whole conversation with myself today on, uh, on Big Thing about, and people are tired of hearing me say it, but I think that if you made Phantom Menace today 
and you made it a series, what you're talking about could be hashed out over 10 episodes and really develop. Because the politics in Star Wars is like my favorite stuff. And people always talk about how the politics in this got a little boring for them. And I understand it because it's like, it's kind of mushed. Um, but that's how wars start. It, absolutely. It's, it's all about politics. But like the, the politics in the novel Bloodline by Claudia Gray is like Game of Thrones type politics. And that's the time they, they find like because Leia starts running and then they find like what you see in the news like all the time. They find out dirt on. They find out that she's Vader's kid and they use it against her and she doesn't run because of it. And it's great. It's, such, it's like, oh, yeah, that, of course, would happen. Um, and they do all that. And that's the type of politics I'd love to see in Star Wars. And I hope that they explore that in a series because there's a lot of stuff. Like the Trade, Feder Trade Federation stuff to a lot of people are like, oh, the Trade Federation, it's not really explained very well. They didn't have enough time. Yeah, it was confusing. The movie's two and a, it's almost two and a half hours long. They don't have enough time no. to do all that stuff. And that's why... If there's a series that is able to pace out the politics of Star Wars, I think it's actually pretty, pretty. I think you can do a lot of parallels of things that are going on today in general. Um, the way the, the stuff that led to the creation of Star Wars, the politics that it was based off of, you can do a lot of that uh, stuff. Yeah, people getting scared and why you vote certain yeah. ways, all of that could have could have been used and can still be ex explored for sure. I'm yeah. wondering in the Cassian Andor series if we're going to get... I hope so. It seems like that's where you could really yeah. use it. You know who's underused in this film, in Phantom Menace, mm. in, in playing into all that politics, is Terrence Stamp, who plays Chancellor Valorum. Oh. He's completely underused. He's Maybe a phenomenal you actor. You barely even see him. He might, Twice, he, I think. And they, they just... And Palpatine kind of leads to him getting booted out, and it leads to... You know the the nominations of doing, it. and he's just basically Terrence Stamp is just there to be sad when he gets voted he, out. Yeah, I've actually he might have one line, yeah. and it made no. Yeah, you he didn't even get to fight he for to do anything. Yeah, it's Zod. That's Zod from Superman. <laughs> it's like and he didn't get to do anything. And he like he to to see a scene with him to see more about who he was. I think in a series like Andor, you'll see more people be able to develop a little bit more or on Padme that. Padme talking to him at anyway. all, like Padme. They she turns make, on his ass quick. Uh, yeah, they yeah. make her smart in some senses. Like when she was way more bold than yeah. than Palpatine thought she would be in her movements. But then in some sense, it's like all she's she was fooled. confiding in was was Palpatine. Remember, also she's like thirteen or yeah. fourteen years old. Sure. So and she's one of 14, the young, yeah. something like that. So one of the youngest queens, like in, in I think in Naboo history, and she is, and so yeah, she's trusting, and he's like a father figure, and he he manipulates her, and she's just like, uh, she, I have no a vote of no confidence in Chancellor Valorum, and he just I'm sad. But they don't say that. We know that from. They do say that. Did they say her yeah. age? Oh no 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 yeah. no no no! I thought you meant uh, her saying the the vote of no confidence. Oh no no yeah, yeah. Of she says that, but you don't understand how sick of a character she actually is, right? Unless you read the books or know the backstory. It, it's not because it's simply just not enough time. Yeah. Because you because everyone's like, oh, I wish we would have put all those scenes that we're talking about. The movie becomes almost three hours long. Yeah. And they already cut some stuff out of it. Could they have cut some stuff out of the pod racing and all that? I mean, sure, but the the thing is, you it depends on what tone you were going for. If you start to put in more of those scenes with Valorum and all that you stuff, you cut the Gungalorians out. You get away from that tone, and some people are like, oh, I wish they would have done that. Yeah, but the tone of what that movie is, it is a clear cut children's story adventure and yep. it's a children's adventure and knowing that, understanding that, you can't have that type of stuff, and that's what opens the door. And I also think it's a reason why people are really kind of in love with the prequels now. Because and I've said this many times over and I stick by it. 
when they were just the only things that you thought you were getting. Like, that's it? Well, that, I'm not going to see anything in the way that I, the stuff that I used to like at all. Like, that, man, that, that sucks. And now it's, no, no, you, you've got this tone, which you're a Star Wars fan, just enjoy it. Kick back, enjoy, enjoy this rhythm of, of, of what we're doing here. You like something else, watch the OT. You like something else, check out The Mandalorian. You like this, watch the, the, the trilogy. Watch uh, Rogue One. Watch mm-hmm. how that starts. We got a series coming out. We got the, now it's like, there's so much that it's like, even if, if you cannot stand one of the Star Wars movies and thinks that everything was ruined because... Go to the next one. There's so much. There's I was, so much. I always think about that because I was the younger generation. Right. I get it. I do get if Star Wars, especially when, if you were like that sector of nerddom before it became pop culture, which right. it most definitely has, and Star Wars was your life, and then they did that. I get it. But now with what you're there's saying, so there's so much. Rahu Kohli just tweeted. It was like, Star Wars has always been a restaurant. Right. You can. There's stuff on the menu you love and stuff you won't. Don't pick the stuff don't you stuff don't. You, don't like. you can and go with stuff you like. Yeah, I used to. I mean, like, because the, the prequels, and and we were also living in a very different time with the prequels. There was not the Twitter universe and all that because Twitter will get out as much love as it does hate, right? But there was none of that stuff. There's a lot of people that supported the prequels when they came out, but it was the it was the loud voices even back then that were playing uh, because well. If Twitter was around during the prequels, I can't even imagine what it would be like. Everybody, everybody, even the people today who hate The Last Jedi will swear by the prequels. But if there was no new trilogy and if that was the only thing they knew and they were of the same generation of the OT, right? They'd probably be fighting against it on, on Twitter the same way that they did too. 100%. Yeah, but either way, I found myself as someone who was pretty vocal. I mean, we did a full thing on Schmoes No back in 2000 and... Um, 11, I think it was. And it was me, it was Ken Knapsack, and, uh, and Ellis. And we all at the time were, were just not fans of the prequels at all. And Ken has completely, I think from doing shows with, with, um, with Joseph Scrimshaw and, and his love for the prequels, it's everything that you just said. It's the fact that there's just so much more and knowing that, okay, well, let me explore. And re-exploring these things too. Sometimes you re-explore and you realize you like a thing less. Sometimes you explore and you realize what the thing is and you like it you like it more. Yeah, that yeah. that's definitely how I feel about the prequels. Yeah. They have some stuff that is so fun, so magical, exactly why we love Star Wars. And when you do like sci-fi movies, especially at that time, were not easy to make. Right. They were still figuring out dialogues. Of course there's great eighties and nineties sci-fi films that still hold up, but not a lot. Yeah, this was a switch though for also, because Lucas was making up, you can tell inside of this movie, the play from, he's always been revolutionary as far as effects go and as far as how he shot things. The whole thing was shot digitally. Nobody shot digitally. It's digital. And it was, and it transformed everything. And you look, because you can see it how, I mean, even though I remember seeing it in the theater and watching it last night. This is 1999, this movie came out. And when that ship shows up, when they first pull up there to Naboo, it's, it's incredible. It's gorgeous. The only thing we didn't touch on, today from Phantom Menace is the whole the, the the fact that even how old are the kids supposed to be when they start training because they said Anakin's too old right yeah. he's like eight years old they were like so I guess he got to be really even younger they said Luke was too old Anakin's too old um but that it's it's a bit of an ironic or or sad thing when you see it when when Sam Jackson is is Mace Windu's looking at him and, he, and they're just, he's kind of giving them the, the cold eye. I know. Their attitude was so bad. It was really bad towards him. And he's looking. But 
that anger starts to come out of Anakin, and there's this look that the two of them have at each other, and you're like, oh, he's going he's gonna to help kill you. And Hol- you don't realize yeah. it. He definitely, I thought that, that those were really smart moments for little Anakin yeah. because he did show attitude. There yeah. was like two times where he showed attitude. And there was, um, I remember when Qui-Gon died, the, the first thing he said is what's going to happen to me. He was showing that fear of the right. future, not knowing what he right. was going to do. But some of the most beautiful shots were on, like you said, the movie's so pretty. When you break down some frames, when he's leaving Tatooine and Obi-Wan's, I mean, Qui-Gon's leading and he's yeah. right behind him in his shadow yeah. and they're just walking, it's just so, because you know Qui-Gon's not going to be there and then it's just Anakin alone. He doesn't have that father figure No, anymore. and then you have Palpatine now clocking him, looking at things like you were going to follow your future with, with great interest, like all that, and he's... And even that conversation at the very end that Yoda and, and, and Mace Windu have, I'm talking about the, that's going back to that guy on the internet that in 99, it's clear as day. He says to him, he goes, he, he says, always there are two. Who's the, and then he said, well, who's, who was the master and who was the apprentice? And then it pans to Palpatine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but either way, that whole scene and the, and the, there was kind of that throwback to watch having him laid out there and the throwback to Return of the Jedi when, when Vader's laid out and Luke is there. But watching how that tragedy kind of all happened because you just had this whole silly scene with like you're talking about with, with Jar Jar and fighting and the Gungans win against the against the robots and um, then you turn to this kind of serious scene of what you, the lead in because Obi-Wan needs to switch and o- Obi-Wan, the emotion that he goes through avenging Qui-Gon from death and then understanding also the dying wish of his master going, you got to train him. Like you got to promise me, you got to train him. And it's like, here's a guy that it's like my dad is asking me to do this thing. I got to do it. Cause Yoda doesn't want him to do it. Yoda's like, no, we can't do it. And he's like, I'm basically going to do it. If you want, want or not, he's like, all right, you stubborn, he's like, Fine. You stubborn <laughs> bastard, just do it. And you know, Yoda's obviously right about it, but what, but what, even if he wasn't, what's he going to do? Drop him back off on Tatooine. Like what's he going to do is just send him off into the world and good luck kid. Knowing that he knows that he's got this connection to the Force, he would have been a. It, that's a great what if, also. What if Obi Wan would have dumped off like, Anakin nah. somewhere else, like and said, like, no. Again, would Palpatine have found him anyway? Would Palpatine got to him earlier, like that? Because Palpatine is locked into this kid at that point. Like he knows. Yeah, he's grooming him. Yeah, already definitely. I think he would have found him. So I'm sure that if you think. My interpretation is Yoda kind of foresaw that regardless we will need him to bring balance, but it's probably not good. No, he knew there was a lot there was a lot going on with this kid. He saw it, it was like just clouded and, and there was there was stuff in there and and all of it. And I think it leads up. It's also a very interesting choice, as I was mentioned to you before, where because of the choice to not have him as a teenager and start him as a as a kid, you had to jump ten years into the future going into Attack of the Clones. As opposed to if he was a teenager it was probably just been like two or three years afterwards. So it's another thing. It's a, it's, it was, it's an interesting choice. It is also what I wonder, because as we talk about how this is going to tie into other series and other things, the acolyte is supposed to take place. I forget. What, what is it? I always forget. Is it like, is it a hundred years before 60 years or 30? I can't remember. Um, it's not too far away from Phantom Menace. No. And, and if that is the case, who is the top Sith Lord at that moment? One would think it's it's Darth Plagueis. In the novel, which is not canon anymore, Plagueis is still alive during the time of, of Phantom Menace. He is still yeah. Palpatine's master. 
during that time. Yeah. And he's pulling the strings and he's doing some stuff. And then there's a whole, like, you've been watching The Sopranos like I have. The Darth Plagueis novel is a damn gangster book. It's a, it is a mobster story. And it is great. Um, I still, I would love, if someone was like, you can just, you can go and you can pitch. They're, they're going to they're gonna make one book into a series, if you go in there and pitch it right, I would pitch the hell out of that book. Yeah, Darth make Plague. it a full, dark mafia yeah. series. It, um, it's a part of the Alta Republica canon. So it's 200 years before the 200 trilogy. Years before, yeah, 200. Before which trilogy? The uh, the original trilogy. The original trilogy. Okay, so then it's probably, yes. Yeah, it's, it, it so, so it's probably about 130 years, 170 years before, before Phantom Menace? Yeah. Something like that. Okay, so I mean, look... Plagueis could be around. He could not be around, depending on, again, what species is he in canon. In the book, he's immune, and they could live pretty long. Um, if not, then it might be a different Sith Lord altogether because there's a lineage. They do, and what is canon is they play into Darth Bane, who created the Rule of Two, mm-hmm. and they have been hiding in the shadows, which plays into that scene in Phantom Menace of Mar- Maul going, at last we can reveal ourselves, you know, insinuating we've been hiding in the shadows for a while they've been gone i mean they mentioned it the jedi council because they when they report it we think it was a sith like they've been gone for forever and how are they just magically back well they're not magically back they've been around but they've been hiding in the shower sh- sh- in the shower a bunch of weirdos <laughs> um but they've been hiding in the shadows and palpatine was the one who eventually had the plan to Go full center the plan was always to take over always destroy the jedi but to figure out how to do it so you got to explore inside of um, the Acolyte who's, who's running the ship for the Sith at that point. Yeah, that would be sick if they explored that because I do think a lot of people who aren't don't read anything Star Wars or just yeah. watching the movies don't think that the rule of two is even a plot point. Right. Like, they don't get the Sith thing. They just think this is a watched. villain. Yes, right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. They're like, who? they don't care about Bane or Plagueis. Right. They don't know. They probably don't even know who the hell that no. is. No. And they didn't watch, the, if they, if they, especially if they're not watching animated series or any of that. That's why an introduction to Bane or any of those things inside of live action would be would be great. There's been rumors, and, and I know it's been floated around at Lucasfilm about Bane series. Um, or Bane movies or anything too. I just don't know if they're going to go forward with it. I wish they would because yeah. it would tie up things with even the newest sequels we've gotten yeah. with the entire clone or Ray, like any of those questions with Palpatine and how he's managed to do what he's doing right. would be more understood through that type of series. Yeah, agreed. Um, it's fun talking about these movies again. I know. I know. I'm so excited to see the rest of them again. Yeah, it's good. So we're going to be able to, and we're going to be doing this a bunch. Um, this was the first one. We're hoping Mike's going to be here for next week for Attack of the Clones. When I told him, he's like, oh man, I missed Phantom Menace. That's what he really wanted to do. Um, because he, he just, he's, he's on vacation at the moment. So he'll be back for Attack of the Clones. And obviously we're going to do each movie and we're probably going to do them in, um, in the order that they, the chronological order chronological. that they come out as far as in, in, in the time period, you know, not, not as far as how they, how, when they were released in theaters, obviously, because we would probably do solo after revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. That would be the first one. Right. And then rogue one mm-hmm. and then episode four, yeah. five and six, and then seven, eight, nine. So, um, the reason why we're doing it is we want to, we want to have 
all this material, all these discussions that we're coming up with, and even the way that we tied in certain things, whether it ties into Acolyte or, or Obi-Wan or any of those things, those are the conversations I think we're going to be able to continue to have and catch on to new things, like the way we just did with that conversation, that one little conversation with Maul and Sidious on that level, on, on that balcony, could tie into the Acolyte mm -hmm. somewhere or another, the, the mythology of it all. So that's it. That's what we're doing. So make sure if you haven't done it already, subscribe to the podcast feed. Um, download those, whether it's on uh, Apple Podcast, follow us on Spotify, all that. It helps us. It helps us tremendously download the episodes. Comment. Let us know your favorite moments. Let us know for the next, for on this episode, for next week, what particular moments do you really want us to dive deep into for Attack of the Clones? Because that's what it's going to be. Leading up to Boba Fett, we're going to be doing all of these movies. So I wanted to thank you. Obviously, thank you to the great Steph Sabra. And we will see you guys next week. Stronger.